Colby Daniels podcast, and we are recording this on fight day. It is Saturday. Thanks to the NBA draft for kind of pushing our schedule back all week long. Will and I had a great time at Chalk and Chisholm Creek on Thursday night, broadcasting for three plus hours, breaking down every pick in the NBA draft. So uh, we've kind of tried to... uh, to recalibrate everything, and we are recording this on fight day. So as we speak, Will, these guys are getting their uh, their minds right and getting ready to stand on the other side of one another and try to beat the hell out of each other today. So uh, I'm really excited that we are going to hype ourselves up on fight day as we get ready for these matchups. But uh, what's happening, my friend? Man, it's uh, it's great to be doing this on a Saturday because like now we get through the entire fight week. We actually know what fights are going to be taking place. We know what fights have been canceled. Right. I mean, sure enough, there could be some fights. We've seen crazier things happen where a guy doesn't uh, make the walk <laughs> for for the actual fight. But uh, for the most part, we know the uh, what fights are going on. We know the cancellations. Uh, it's still going to be a pretty solid uh, night of fights. So I'm pretty excited. All right, so we've got a lot to get to. Uh, We're going to review last week's card with a lot of controversy. Uh, We're going to make our picks for tonight's card. We're going to talk about a massive fight announcement. We're going to talk about potentially the biggest fight in Bellator promotion history. Uh, So there's a lot to get to, but look, I I would be... uh, not being truthful if I started anywhere else because I think this is the biggest story today. Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler has... Uh, did they say it's it's actually official or they're working on finalizing the deal? I don't remember the exact uh, comments that were made, but Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler at 155, this has fight of the year candidate written all over it. From what I understand, it has been agreed to on both sides, but both sides need to sign their contracts. Um, but yeah, UFC 268 in November, they're trying to, they're working on the venue, but, uh, all signs are pointing towards Madison square garden on the Usman Covington card. Um, I'm hoping that it's a five round co-main event or just, I, that right. fight needs to be five rounds. Uh, right. no matter what we have to make that fight five rounds. But I, I was saying last week, uh, like we've been talking about the whole lightweight division and what fights we want to see happen. Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler is probably at the top of my list. Yeah. I remember saying last week that uh, us as fans will be robbed if we never got to see Gaethje and Michael Chandler. It makes a ton of sense. Uh, There's a lot of fights out there for both of them that make sense as well, but it makes sense uh, all around for the fans, especially Um, two guys are just going to go out there and bang, man. It's going to be a great fight. Regardless of division, I think this is a top 10 matchup that you could make in the UFC right now. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, put everybody up for grabs. This is a top 10 matchup. 100%. Um, like, you can put, I mean, we know uh, Sanhagen and Dillashaw already happened, so that would have been one that was up there. But uh, in terms of just all the matchups in every division that you can make, like, this is one of those matchups that you just have to see. Uh, just the styles, man. You know yeah. that both of these guys are not going to take a backward step. Uh, I mean, just the vision. Uh, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be violent. Uh, I expect a bloodbath. Uh, just this is going to be uh, what MMA is all about. These are the last two guys that were on the wrong end of a 155 title match, and it's crazy to think that one of these guys is going to have two straight L's following this matchup. The other guy puts himself right back into the title picture, but uh, once again, that's that's 155 for you. That's the lightweight division. It's the best division in the sport. Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler is an absolute banger, and if you talk about the hype of a fight card, 
I think Gaethje Chandler is good enough to headline a major fight card. But if that leads you into what is going to be Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington, holy cow, that pay-per-view card has a chance to be one of the all-time greats. I mean, that fight will sell itself just because Colby's such a giant a-hole. Uh, and I'm, I'm somewhat, I text you this as soon as that fight was made, I'm somewhat exhausted before any of the media stuff has even started surrounding that fight because Colby Covington has a way of just kind of wearing you down through the process anyway. Kamaru Usman is, you know, so mentally strong that he seems unbothered by it all. But that card, if in fact it's going to be Usman Covington, uh, Gaethje Chandler, fireworks, man, fireworks. Yeah, there's not really two better fights that you can put on a, on a single card. And then uh, to, for it to be in Madison Square Garden, I know that they're going to stack that card. But for those two fights to be the uh, the two headliners, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Because we, we know what the potential of a Gaethje-Chandler matchup is, one. And then two, Usman Covington won. That was an outstanding fight. And yeah. then... I mean, b- both the guys have made adjustments. I mean, Usman has looked incredible since that fight. We haven't seen much of Kobe Covington, and that's probably why he's got this title shot. I mean, he rested on his laurels. He didn't want to uh, fight again. He beat Tyron Woodley, which I don't really know how much um, you can take away from that. But um, Usman or uh, Covington did give Usman his toughest uh, fight to date. So uh, despite everything that that Kobe Covington's gonna say, all the BS and all the crazy antics that he's gonna do. The guy can the guy can fight, and yeah. he is very talented, and he's going to give Usman uh, another tough fight. So um, those two fights at the top of a card, it's uh, can't get me any better than that. Was that first fight in 2019? Yeah, December. That, that was one of the – yeah, I was trying to remember if that was at the beginning of 2020 or the end of 2019, but regardless, that was one of the fights of the year. I mean, that was Absolutely. an incredible fight, and when you think about what Gaethje Chandler – uh, kind of gives us the opportunity to be holy cow. Um, we're having a big party for that one, so just get ready. Like we are, we are going to do it big. Uh, I might Hold have on, to we'll, make like five hundred we'll, yeah. bacon wrapped jalapenos. As as long as there's bacon wrapped jalapenos, there we go. I don't care who's on the card. There we I'm go. There. <laughs> All right, fair enough. That is going to be an awesome fight. Let's talk about another awesome fight that's taking place tonight, but not in the UFC. Um, I heard this thrown out earlier this week, and I don't know that it's wrong. AJ McKee, Pitbull Patricio, arguably the biggest fight in Bellator promotion history tonight. This this has fireworks written all over it as well. Man, when you uh, Bellator has been kind of like the the second tier level promotion in terms of MMA. Uh, they've had a lot of the older guys that's come in. You know, the Rampage Jacksons, Fedor, um, a lot of big names. And, I mean, you know, look at that lightweight, uh, that light heavyweight Grand Prix they've had going on, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah, right. And and now you start to see uh, a lot of talent, talented guys that are homegrown talents, like a like a Pitbull, like an AJ McHugh. And you don't even need the the guys who have the, the older guys that have the names. That's why that this fight is probably the biggest in Bellator history. And then when you think of uh, the skill sets, uh, Pitbull is the two division champion. But he's going into a fight with the guy with AJ McKee, who has a ton of skill, who can beat you in so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, he is the he is the prototypical guy uh, in today's MMA, uh, a guy who's pr- elite everywhere. Uh, he's got the size, um, the length over Pitbull. Uh, just seeing them uh, in the way, as you see the the size uh, discrepancy. But Pitbull, I mean, they call him Pitbull for a reason. He's gonna go out there and he's going to attack him. 
But uh, AJ McKee, uh, just when people pressure him, he finds a way just to yeah. pull out a submission or pull out a, a huge strike out of nowhere. So um, the odds, uh, the, the odds is kind of like a coin flip at this point. Um, so yeah, this is the biggest fight in, in Bellator history in my eyes. Uh, yeah, it's, it could be a changing of the guard or uh, Pitbull's going to solidify himself as the greatest. Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now you can make the argument that Pitbull is the greatest in Bellator history, two division champion. If you're if you're calling anybody the face of the promotion, it's probably Pitbull. And then you talk about AJ McKee, undefeated. I think he's finished five of his last six opponents. Uh, 17 and 0 overall. Like this is this is an absolute banger as well. And I, I just pulled up the uh, the odds, minus 110 for both. So uh, right. the odds makers believe this thing is about. I mean, is as even as it possibly gets. Right, and you see, it's one of those things where you don't really want to bet against Pitbull because he's been in so many big fights. I mean, he's uh, fought against Michael Chandler. Uh, he won the belt against him. Like, like we're saying, he's a, a two division champion. Um, so when you when you when you when he's fighting a guy like AJ McKee, who's this is kind of new to him. I mean, he's ran through this uh, this Grand Prix and he's now he's hit the finals. This is his first championship fight. This there's one million dollars on the line. Uh, who's who knows how AJ McKee's gonna come out? He's got all the confidence. He's got everything working in his favor. He's younger. He's bigger, faster, all that stuff. But Pitbull's got the experience, and the experience that weighs uh, a lot in in the game of MMA. So uh, it's going to be a crazy fight. We'll see how it goes. All right. Speaking of crazy, will let's rewind to last Saturday night. It's it's somewhat of a shame we haven't had an opportunity to review last week's card yet, as we're uh, a week after uh, the fact. But. Uh, a lot of controversy, especially on the main card. I mean, multiple fights where I think MMA fans um, everywhere are questioning the outcomes. And, and look, regardless of what side you were on in the main event, it, we can all agree that I, I think a lot of people viewed that fight differently than the way it was scored. I think the co-main event was viewed differently than the way it was scored. And I think the biggest robbery was in the second, second fight of the night on the main card, uh, which we will get to in a second. But... Let me just say this, Corey, Corey Sanhagen, TJ Dillashaw, I told you last week before this fight took place, I, I thought this was going to be one of the best fights of the year. Um, leading into this fight, this was one of the fights I was most excited about for the entire year. I loved this matchup, and I thought we were going to get a great fight. I thought we were going to see both guys lay it all out, and we were going to be absolutely entertained. And I also think that's exactly what happened. I think both guys performed admirably. I, I think both guys showed why they are world-class fighters, why both guys showed TJ obviously is a former champion. I believe Corey is a future champion. It was everything we asked for. I also felt like when it was all said and done, Corey won decisively. Now, I say decisively in the terms of they were all close, close rounds. I'm not saying that any of them were blowouts. But when you stack it up, I, I don't think there's a single round that you can say without a shadow of a doubt, TJ Dillashaw won. I think you can say that for some of Corey Sanhagen's rounds. Um, regardless of how you scored it, Will, first just tell me, what'd you think of that fight? Because I thought it was it was just entertaining as hell for all 25 minutes. Man, uh, so I don't know if you want me to give you like how I scored the fight, but just what my, my thoughts on the fight itself... I, for five rounds, I really felt like I was watching very high-level MMA, man. Uh, the things that Corey Sanhagen was doing on the feet, uh, I mean, 
TJ is normally the the more skilled striker when he's fighting a lot of these guys. But yeah. now he went in there against Corey Sanhagen, and Sanhagen was giving him looks that he hadn't seen before. He was hitting him with shots that he had never been hit with before. Uh, normally, uh, guys are pressuring uh, are pressuring TJ, but TJ had to be the one that was pressuring pressing forward, and Corey was uh, on the retreat a lot of the times. But Corey was still uh, able to uh, to basically have his way uh in the striking realm yeah and and tj uh like i said there's there was a route to victory for tj and it, and he couldn't stay standing with with uh cory sanhagen i mean he tj had some moments uh not anything super that was gonna uh change the fight or anything but tj had some moments where he's showed that he could uh stand with Corey but if that if if the for the entire five rounds of it, it, it was uh Corey and TJ just standing and striking Corey wins that 100% of the time right but TJ had to mix in grappling he had to mix in wrestling and everything uh and that the octagon control time and the aggression and all that stuff um that worked in TJ's favor that uh a lot of the time of those rounds it was TJ um, having a hold of him, uh, maybe not doing uh, a lot of damage, but still having a hold of him. So um, I thought that it was pretty close. Um, I'll give you, I guess I'll uh, wait for, for how you scored the fight to get mine. But um, yeah, I thought it was in the moment. Uh, I thought it was really close. I didn't know who won uh, yeah. after watching it live. It was very, very close. Uh, I didn't think either guy would have been robbed. Uh, I would have been completely fine with a Corey Sanhagen win or a TJ Dillashaw win. Uh, both guys fought Ivan B, as you said. TJ with that massive cut uh, and then injuring his knee in the first round and then going the, the rest of the way. Uh, Corey proving that he can hang uh, all five rounds and not get tired. You know, uh, So it was a grueling fight, but you know, both guys show that they are championship-level fighters. Yeah, so... Fight night, I scored at 4-1. I went TJ Dillashaw in round one, and then I had Corey Sanhagen winning the remaining four rounds. I would say that I felt like my closest round, and I felt like this was true when I rewatched it, was round three. I, I think round three was the hardest round for me to judge uh, throughout the entire five rounds. On the rewatch... I, I, I'm, I'm there again, um, and I, I would say that round, I was more tempted to give, and I think everybody just kind of took it for granted that TJ was getting round one, but on the rewatch, I was like, you know what, you could absolutely score round one for Corey Sanhagen, because especially at the end of that round, he was the guy doing big damage from the bottom position, so, you know, I think we get so trapped in that whole, like, control uh, discussion that, you can have control, but if you're eating the big shots, if the guy underneath is doing all the damage, I mean, what good is having the control? So um, I think one thing for me that really stands out when we talk about these fights, at the end of the day, Will, it's a fight, right? Like, it's a sport, but it's a fight first. And there are a lot of scoring metrics that need to be judged when you're judging a fight. But the first and foremost is... Who's winning the fight? F-I-G-H-T. Who is inflicting more pain and damage on the opponent? Who's taking less damage? That's what a fight is. And I don't even think it's close in that department as far as the damage given out versus the damage received. I think it's drastically in favor of Corey Sanhagen. So if we want to talk about octagon control, if we want to talk about aggressiveness, and, and that being, if that counts for as much of the gap as 
the damage that was given out, then people just need to start going forward all the time and, and damn getting knocked out. Just standing in the center of the ring gives you, or standing in the center of the octagon should just give you the win. I mean, why is Israel Adesanya a champion? The guy's always standing on the outside, making guys miss, counter-striking, and putting a hurting on a guy that's going forward. Why do we Why do we score Israel Adesanya completely differently than we score Corey Sanhagen in that fight? Um, I, I Again, that, that's not to say that that what TJ Dillashaw did on last Saturday night was was nothing short of impressive. To be out for the amount of time that he was out, to face a killer like Corey Sanhagen, to overcome all the adversity that he faced in that fight as well, I, I, I think you have to give it up for TJ Dillashaw and the fight that he fought. But I also think that just because he fought way better than any of us thought he was going to fight... That doesn't equal a win. You can you can be way better than we thought, but also not be winning the fight. So um, I felt very strongly that the point of view that you know he was the more aggressive guy and that he had the octagon control, quote unquote. For me, that should come into play when it's so close in every other way that you can't really decide which guy had the advantage. And I don't think that was the case. I think clearly Corey Sanhagen had the advantage. Uh, to the point that I don't, for me, that was never even part of my thought process. Whew, okay. Um, before I before I start, I just want to say, um, on fight night, I had it 2-2 uh, going into the fifth. Okay. And the fifth, uh, I just did not know who had won uh, the fifth round. Uh, it was really close. So uh, when, they, when the judges, you know, read it for TJ, I was just like, you know, whoever won that fifth round, uh, you know, great. So I watched it back last night and some of those some of the rounds were so close that I actually rewind rewinded it and watched it again oh okay so so the first I, I'm trying I'm gonna try not to be long-winded I know I can be long-winded sometimes but I'm trying to keep it short so the first round um I scored it for TJ live because of uh you know the ground stuff that happened on the ground yeah but rewatching it, you're right. Sanhagen did land the bigger strikes, and then when they were on the ground, he had two submission attempts that were pretty close. Yeah. The, the triangle and the uh, the leg lock. While uh, TJ was still doing his thing as far as you know, trying to land some strikes, that was close to actually uh, you know happening. You know, uh, Corey had his had his leg in a bad way, and, and then of course TJ's leg was compromised after that. So that first round, I still didn't want to ha- I didn't have a decisive winner when I rewatched it Agreed. but when I went when I rewinded it again and rewatched it I was like if I have to pick a a winner I'm going to give it I'm going to give it to TJ just, but just by a little bit but uh if you want to say Corey won that sure you know I I'll, I'll take it round 2 that was the the most clear round of the entire fight like that was really close like if you wanted to give it a 10-8 uh Corey Sanhagen was definitely uh having his way um, he dropped TJ and then hit TJ with some bombs in that in that round. Uh, definitely 10-9 Corey Sanhagen. Round three uh, was was a really close round as well, but I scored that one for TJ. But it was very that yeah. one was very razor close. Um, round four, TJ came out really really uh, aggressive. Uh, the first half of that round, I felt like TJ was winning more mostly because of his uh, octagon control and everything. And when he had him in, up uh, on the fence in the clinch, he was actually landing stuff. And then when, uh, the striking was really close. While Corey was doing the damage as far as um, uh, 
the head, the head strikes and stuff. TJ was attacking his body, attacking his uh, his legs. Um, so that fourth round was close, but again, I scored that one for for Corey Sanhagen, uh, but just by by a little bit. Yeah. Um, round five. Now, round five was was the other one that I had to watch a few times because uh, live I didn't have a winner. Um, so I, I I rewatched it and I didn't have a winner again. So I had to rewatch this uh this fifth round again. Uh, so. I came away with TJ winning uh, the fifth round by by a slim margin, but I had TJ winning. So if I had to pick a winner, uh, I I would have picked TJ. But still, um, I would have I wouldn't be mad with uh, yeah. a Corey Sanhagen win uh, either. So I mean, the rounds were really really close to judge. Yeah. The judge the judges had a really uh, tough uh, decisions to make with those rounds. Uh, I don't think uh, Corey Sanhagen got robbed, but um, those rounds were extremely close. It's one of those things where I felt like there was, you're right, all like the rounds were all close, but I think like at the end of 25 minutes, I felt like the gap between the two guys was was significant. Like that's the crazy part about fighting is you can you can literally go through these five minute periods at a time and say like maybe it's an inch one way or the other. But somehow at the end of 25 minutes, like one guy looks completely battered and the other guy is fine. Like no scratches <laughs> like that. That's such a weird dynamic in the sport. And it's one reason why we love it so much. There's you know, it, it's not necessarily an exact science. Like if you and I are in a fight and I touch you 10 times, but none of them do anything and you land one punch, but knock me on my ass. And that's the end of the fight. Like who won? I outstruck you 10 to one, but you knocked me on my ass with the one that you landed. So like, how do you score that? Like who won the fight? And I think that's kind of an example of, of what we saw. There was certainly times where TJ Dillashaw was in control of the fight, where he had Corey's back against the fence. He never really did anything with any of the takedowns. In fact, the, the most damage that was done when either one of them was on the ground was in round one, when Corey was going for those submissions. Uh, but like, if we're fighting and you bloody my nose and knock me on my ass with one shot and I'm just, you know, touching you here and there uh, repeatedly, like I can completely outstrike you. But if they don't do anything and you're beating me up, like that's what a fight is about. So I, I think it, it, it probably just becomes a perception thing on how you view the sport and how you score the sport, right? Yeah, and... What you're saying is is completely valid as far as the damage because Corey Sanhagen definitely did the uh, clearly the more damage, but um, just thinking of it as more of of a sport uh, than a than a fight, I think that's where the difference lies yeah. uh, in terms of uh, a lot of people scoring because clearly, like 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 uh, I said, Corey did the uh, more damage, but in terms of the sport of MMA, um, some of those rounds the striking the striking exchanges were close. Um, Corey did a lot of uh, he had a lot of head strikes, but TJ uh, definitely uh, attacked his body and attacked his legs a lot more. Yeah, uh, especially down the stretch of the fight, the the championship rounds, he did a lot of uh, damage to his legs. So uh, if the if the striking exchanges are are even remotely close, and then TJ's doing having some octagon control and he's the one that's pressing forward. Yeah, I mean if, if the striking is is even remotely close, then they're going to look at the other things like the aggression and the octagon control, and TJ's going to get points for that. Right. So 
Um, and then Corey didn't do himself any favors when he was going for the for the spinning stuff or the flying whatever, and then he was got put in in, in bad spots yeah. where TJ was able to get him on the ground. So. I don't know, man. And, and he guess, mentioned that in his statement. He, he said that he put himself in some positions where, you know, he, he obviously was going to, it was going to look bad on him as far as the judges are concerned. If the striking is close, and again, this is where I think it's just a perception thing. If the striking's close, I don't, I don't go first to octagon control. I go to, once again, if the striking's close, what did my, how did my shots impact you versus your shots impacting me? And the impact of Corey Sanhagen's shots on TJ Dillashaw were drastically different than the shots that TJ Dillashaw's shots were having on, on Corey Sanhagen. Absolutely. Uh, and I think it's more of uh, they think of striking as just one whole thing. Uh, they don't really they don't really view how much damage. I think damage should play a bigger part in how we score it. But in terms of how it is, yeah. Uh, it goes striking and then like grappling, aggression, out control, all that stuff. Yeah. Um. So they look at striking as one as just one thing. If the numbers are close, then you go to grappling, and then uh, that's where TJ's a lot of TJ's points came. So, um, yeah. If the striking is close, you know maybe you do look at damage next. Yeah. But you know that's just how the the scoring is, I guess, man. I, I think I uh I, I text you something along these lines on Saturday night after the fight, but. I honestly believe if that exact same fight happens and it's Israel Adesanya in the Sanhagen role and anybody else in the Dillashaw role, that scores that that fight has probably scored 5-0 for Adesanya. I, I think that there's probably an element of like this when you know how a guy fights and how effective a guy is with his style accepting that his style is winning points the way that he's going to fight versus like he needs to be in the center of the octagon. He needs to be winning grappling or, you know, things of that nature. And uh, I, I think if, if, if Adesanya fights the same fight that, that Corey Sanhagen fought, he wins in a runaway. You know, uh, thinking about that, like say it's um, Israel Adesanya and uh, Robert Whitaker or Marvin right. Vittori, someone like that. I think where the difference lies is Let's say Corey Sanhagen was the champion, and some of these rounds are really, really close. Some of the sometimes like judges will just be like, well, "Let's just give that round to the for champion." For sure. Like um, um, John Jones, for instance, with uh, Dominic Reyes or Alexander Gustafson in their first fight. Some of those rounds were so, so close that you just like, uh, you know, it's close, but I'll just go ahead and give that to the champion since it wasn't a, a decisive winner. So I think maybe it would have been different if Corey Sanhagen, if Corey Sanhagen went in as the champion. But uh, and like you said, it, Israel Adesanya will get those nods a lot of the time. But I think a lot of it has to do with him being the champion. So maybe the judges do have a a little bit of a uh, of bias when it comes to championship fights. That's just my opinion. I don't know for sure, but, but. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just I, I if if I'm standing in the middle, but I'm taking the punishment. Like, I don't know why I should be winning the fight for taking the punishment just because I'm the guy standing in the middle. Like, it's a fight. Who's, who's right. hurting the other guy? And uh, I, I think, again, if, it, if, if all things are equal and both guys are, you know, punishing the other equally and both, you know, the strikes are close and the strikes impact on the other guy is close, then, then it becomes a situation of, well, that guy was going forward the whole way or... 
you know, that guy had octagon control. That guy was more aggressive in terms of taking forward steps versus backward steps and counter strikes. Uh, but like, I, I don't feel like it was at that point where I needed that to be my tiebreaker. So, um, I, I, this is, again, we could talk about this for 30 minutes and this is why the sport is so great. Uh, if you don't finish a fight, people are going to see these things differently and everybody has a different interpretation of, of what a winning fight looks like. So, um, it's, you know, the, I, I don't think the way that things are written in this sport are so clear cut where, uh, you can just decisively say, well, this is how it happened and following the rules. Like this is, you know, one plus one equals two, um, and, you know, for everything we're seeing, we see this thing in a different way. And I love that about this thing because there is interpretation to it if you're a fighter and, and you're not able to finish your opponent. Uh, all right. How did thoughts on uh, Kyler Phillips uh, and especially I, I think the first round for Kyler Phillips specifically because I absolutely thought that was a 10-8. In fact, Will, I honestly believe the big shot that Kyler Phillips landed at the end of the first round, if that happened with two minutes left in the fight and he's able to hit hit those uh, couple of shots when uh, his opponent was Paiva was on the ground. I think that fight is stopped. I think Paiva was able to continue because it was, I mean, what ten seconds away from the end of the first round. I think he was given the benefit of like I'm going to give you the bell. But if there's two minutes left in that round, I think the fight's over. I think it's called. Yeah, um, you know the way that 10 eights are scored sometimes, sometimes it's easy to get a 10 eight round. And then sometimes, uh, I guess it just depends on the judge. But for me, that first round, Kyler Phillips, and I was a complete wipeout. Uh, I, that was definitely a 10 eight, uh, for me. Um, how that wasn't scored at 10 eight. I'm not sure because, uh, with the criteria of how 10 eights are scored now, I think that's a clear 10 eight round, uh, for Kyler Phillips. And I think, uh, he kind of just uh, blew himself out uh, trying to finish that fight, yeah. and uh, at at the very end of the round, that fight could have been stopped if it if it would have went on for even 10, 15 more seconds. It probably could have been uh, stopped if he just would have been able to land some more uh, follow up shots. So, um, yeah, uh, that was a ten eight round for me, and I think he just uh, uh, blew himself out. Uh, I think he really thought that he could get him out of there, but. Uh, I mean, props to Paiva for being able to uh, go in the second and third round after taking so much punishment and just yeah. taking the fight back to Kyler Phillips. Uh, he won those. He won the second and third round, and there was no part of me that thought that, oh, you know, Paiva might win this fight. I didn't either. My my thought was, okay, that was a ten eight round, but he did enough to to uh, get this to be a draw. And I when, thought uh, draw. Look, I thought the third round was close enough that it probably could have gone either way. I scored it for Paiva, but I mean, like we're talking about those Sanhagen Dillashaw rounds. Like that third round, if you wanted to make the case for Kyler Phillips, I, I think that's totally valid. And I'm not. I wouldn't fight you if you scored it for Kyler Phillips. So I thought, you know, Kyler Phillips potentially wins the third, and with a 10-8 in the first, like worst case scenario, is a right. draw. Potentially, Kyler Phillips win. Yeah, and it it could have went either way in the third. Um, but Paiva just with uh the toughness, yeah. I think the judges uh probably looked at that like, man, um they they I guess we tend to really look at how tough these guys are. It's just, it's the same thing with, with TJ. Um he's got a cut, he's got the knee, he's got all everything working against him. So uh a lot of the attention is on him and you're right. not really paying much attention to what Corey's doing. So same thing uh, with Paiva. Um 
he's being so tough and he's pressing forward and everything, you're not really paying much attention to what Kyler's doing uh, because he's not as aggressive as he was in the first. Yeah. Um, so you're paying more attention to what Paiva is doing and it, it paid dividends and he uh, got the win. I was I was shocked by the by the uh, scorecards in that yeah. one. Uh, but it wasn't the first time I was shocked by it. So yeah, <laughs> uh, the I, I would say the most shocking uh, judging of the night was Macy Barber, Miranda Maverick, and look, I, Macy Barber is one of my favorite female fighters in the promotion. Uh, I picked Macy Barber to win this fight last week on our show, uh, and I benefited from the point. So like, I had rooting interest in Macy Barber winning this fight, and while I had rooting interest in Macy Barber winning this fight. Zero part of me going into the third round thought that Macy Barber was even tied. It was 2-0 Miranda Maverick going into the third, and Macy Barber needed a finish or a 10-8 round to come out on the favorable side of this matchup. It 100% wasn't a 10-8 round in round three, and being 2-0 Miranda Maverick, I think undisputedly going into the third round, that should have been a Miranda Maverick win. I don't. I have zero idea how anyone scored round two for Macy Barber. Will? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I was pretty shocked. Um, I thought it was a, a clear two rounds in the bank for uh, yeah. Miranda Maverick, and that's not even me being biased. Uh, of being a, a Miranda Maverick fan, uh, love her style and everything, and uh, that we had points on the line for that. But I just, you know, just being a a, a person who's watched this sport for years, I thought it was a clear uh, two rounds for uh, yeah. Miranda Maverick, and Macy Barber needed to finish in the third, which she came out fighting like she needed to finish. Uh, right. And she came out aggressive. She landed uh, some big shots. So, you know, she did her, she did her job, and she won that third round. But, you know... Uh, she needed a finish, and she didn't get that finish. So I thought the first two rounds it was clear for um, Miranda Maverick, yeah. and she didn't. And when the when the scorecards were read, when it was a split decision, I was like, surely yeah. there's not two judges that thought that Macy Barber won that fight. And then for for it to go to Macy Barber, I was completely blown away. But uh, shocked, uh, absolutely shocked. Yeah, it shocked. I feel for Macy or uh, for Miranda Maverick because. Uh, for a young prospect who has uh, a lot of skill, a lot of talent, yeah. and this is a fight that she did not lose, and now she kind of has to go back to the yeah. drawing board. And it's like, what adjustments do you really make? Um, I guess now you don't leave it in the hands of the judges, but it's, in terms of uh, of her style and everything, she was fighting a, a, a great fight. So, um, uh, man, it, it just sucks for her. But, I mean, props for Macy Bar- to Macy Barber for uh, being tough and fighting uh, that third round the way she did, but... She lost that fight 100%. Yeah, 100%. 2-1 Maverick. This is why Dana harps on, don't leave it to the judges. You have to finish your opponent to 100% get the outcome that should be there. And, you know, for Miranda Maverick, I will say, I I felt I felt like both fighters in this fight, Will, were, were somewhat hesitant. Like, I, I didn't feel like we saw Miranda Maverick at her best in this fight. And we've now seen Macy Barber two fights in a row be somewhat passive in the first two rounds and then look like a completely different fighter in round three. And I don't know if that's a gas tank situation where she's just trying to save uh, whatever she has in the tank for the end of the fight because her last two fights, round three, she looks drastically better than those first two rounds. And it's, it's almost like it feels to me like maybe in those first two rounds, she's saving the gas tank, but she's also just like hoping to land a big shot. 
Uh, and it's, I, I don't know, it's, it's a very, it's a very strange thing to me, the way she kind of approaches those first two rounds versus round three. Um, all right. We, we still have a bunch to get to before we make our picks. So we will uh, quickly move on. Darren Elkins, the damage. I, I mean, in terms of seeing a fight go 100% one direction and then stop on a dime and go 100% the other direction. Holy cow. Derek Minner dominating to Darren Elkins getting the finish wild, like the mind-blown emojis in that fight. I mean, it's just a typical Darren Elkins fight at this point, man. Just uh, going through adversity and then um, just his opponent realizing, like, man, I've really just thrown everything that I can at this guy and he's still here. Um, You know, you could just – you could tell, like, when he uh, tried that last submission – there was that was like his last attempt to try to finish the fight, and he just really had nothing left. And then Darren Elkins, when he realized that he had nothing left, he was like, "Perfect! Like it's time for me to just start letting loose." Yeah. And uh, he was able to get the finish. And then it's just, it's just a Darren Elkins fight. Whenever he gets up after he wins, he's he's covered in blood. He's just yelling at the top of his lungs, just like that is just the, with the uh, tattoo. Is, like it's the whole thing is awesome. Yeah, it, it's awesome. It's it's just the Darren Elkins way. Yeah. I, I'm sure he wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. This fight card was full of fight of the night candidates. Adrian Yanez, Randy Costa was one of those that we said was going to be a... There's no way that wasn't going to be a great fight. It was a great fight. And to watch Randy Costa, again, like we just talked about with uh, with Minner and Elkins, it was all Randy Costa. And Adrian Yanez just had to say, you know what, I, I've just got to I just got to go forward. And uh, to again... For a fight to just go 180 degree turn in the other direction, holy cow! Look out, 135ers. This division is so great. I I don't know. I mean, look at the high level guys in this division that aren't even ranked. And Adrian Yanez is one of those guys that I, I think is going to at some point uh, give ranked opponents a problem, and is at some point going to be in that discussion for the best 135er. Yeah, uh, 135 is, is loaded. And then when you uh, think about all the guys that who aren't ranked, it just shows how uh, how crazy loaded this division is. Um, Randy Costa came out and looked incredible. Like his jab, I thought that it was it was crisp, man. His jab was really uh, knocking Giannis's head back. Uh, and it landed so much. It was landing at a very accurate uh, rate. And then uh, after the first round was over, you know, you really didn't – I mean – you started to see towards the end of the round that he was slowing down a little bit, but I just thought, you know, um, maybe he knows that he uh, blew it, blew himself out in the first couple minutes. Maybe he's trying to, uh, you know, get his win back, but uh, he never recovered after that. And uh, in the second round, Yanez was was the one who was pursuing him and landing crazy shots, and then uh, ended up getting the finish. So, um, props to for to Giannis for taking that yeah. uh, type of punishment and then coming out and just completely turning it around. It shows how tough that Yanez is, uh, and it just goes to show how crazy loaded that this division is, man. Last comment on this card, and if you want to add anything else that was on this card that you wanted to talk about, feel free to do so before we make our picks. But the feature prelim, Puna Soriano and Brendan Allen. I thought Brendan Allen was going to win this fight, but I also thought he was going to win this fight because of the overall skill set. I, I in no way thought that this was going to be a fight where he was just going to trade with Puna the entire way and be on the better end of that. Uh, so Brendan Allen showing a lot of uh, forward progress in the stand-up department. Uh, another guy that I think really could make some waves at 185. Um, 
when you when you look at the stand up improvement and the fact that he he didn't really I mean he never had to use any ground game or any he beat Puna at Puna's game which I, I thought was really impressive. Yeah, man. Uh, Soriano was undefeated uh, up to that point, and he was a guy who I really thought was a, uh, and he still is a, a, a young rising prospect who could have a, a, a bright future at 185. But uh, Brendan Allen de- definitely just showed uh, uh, massive improvements in his striking. Uh, and then uh, another guy on the on the prelim is Mickey Gall. What he did uh, that submission, uh, submitting Jordan Williams, uh, getting back on track. Uh, also, Imavov, um, not yeah. Imavov over Ian Heinish. That's a big win for him. Uh, Ian Heinish is a guy who just fought Kelvin Gastelum, who's fought a lot of the top guys at 185. He didn't look that good, um, but he he's someone who has who has a little bit of a name at 185, and Imavov was able to um, to finish him. So uh, big things coming for him as well. And then lastly, Sajar Eubanks going back down to flyweight where she was a title contender. Um, looked really good in her, in her first fight back, uh, made weight with no problem. So uh, a lot of big wins for, for fighters in the, uh, on this card, and it was a great night. Uh, question, do we know anything about uh, the Kang Hyung Ho versus uh, Hani Yaya fight? Has that, been, has that been canceled to your knowledge? Because um, the card lineup on tapology.com uh, does not even have that fight listed anymore. It was there yesterday. It's no longer listed as the uh, the co-main. Yeah, uh, from what I uh, knew, uh, it uh, was the co-main event. And if, had, if it has been canceled, that must have just happened within the last couple hours. Okay. Um Oh, yep, there it is. Um, Yaya announced on his Instagram, so this is 25 seconds ago. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Yaya announced on his Instagram 30 or so minutes ago, he tested positive for COVID. Co-main event is off. So I'm sure they will replace it with something. I don't know what that's going to be. Um, I'll just say this. Why don't we... uh, We will add the... We can either just do the main, main card or add the feature prelim into uh, our picks here. Oh, yeah, let's, let's add the feature prelim. Okay. All right, so we're going to add the feature prelim. Again, maybe they add one of the different fights uh, on this card into the uh, the main card, but for the sake of making our picks, we're just going to bump the feature prelim into our grouping. So we have five fights to select, Will, and we start out in the uh, featherweight division. Colin Anglin at 8-1 and one overall against, uh, man, this one's tough, Melsic. <laughs> Bogdasarian? I know the last name is right, at, but okay. uh, I'm not sure about the Mel- first Yeah, name. I, I, <laughs> I'm just giving it a shot. Uh, Bogdasarian, 5-1 and one overall. Oddshark.com on this fight has Anglin as a minus 140 favorite, Bogdasarian plus 120. Oh, man. Um, no, you know, since we, since we weren't... Uh, going to uh bet on this one this one's kind of these two names are a little new to me um i think i'm going to go ahead and go with i'll go with with aglin on this one okay uh same for me colin anglin uh i i believe both of these guys uh were uh on last season's contender series but you know, the further out we get from things that like that, I forget, you know, who was where and what year they were in. And uh, right. I don't even I can't even remember a year ago, like what fight cards were together and 
all right. that. So, uh, you know, that's there's no chance of. But I, I think that that was last season's uh, contender series. Um, I'll go England as well. So we are both on Colin England in the, uh, as of now, the feature prelim, but potentially a fight that gets uh, moved to the main card. All right, we go to the uh, welterweight division. We have Brian Barbarina versus Jason Witt. Barbarina 15-7 and seven overall. Witt 18-7 and seven overall. Oddshark.com has Barbarina minus 200. Witt plus 170. I'm a I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm not gonna say a, a big fan, but I love his fighting style. Uh, he always uh, brings exciting fights, whether he's on the winning or losing side. Uh, Brian Barberina. So my pick will go with uh, Barberina on this one. All right, Brian Barberina. Uh, we are two for two. I'm on that side as well. Um, I, I think he's lost something like three of his last five or four of his last six. But I mean, we're talking about losses to like Colby Covington and Leon Edwards and. Uh, you know, the premier cream of the crop at 170. So, um, you know, this is uh, maybe a step down somewhat in competition, and uh, it's going to be an exciting fight. I, I agree with you from that standpoint. The the style there is a lot of fun. All right, we have another welterweight fight on this main card. We have Nicholas Stoltze and Jared Gooden. Stoltze 12-4 and four overall. Gooden 17-6 and six overall. Gooden is a minus one thirty favorite. Stoltz a plus one ten. Um, thinking that I'm gonna go opposite you, I'm gonna go ahead and pick uh, Stoltz in this one. <laughs> um, okay, I was uh, I was actually gonna go Stoltz, but I was uh, I was totally willing to take the other side of whatever you were gonna go with. Uh, so I'll take Jared Gooden to be on the opposite <laughs> side of you. So. Uh, I think we're probably both ending up with the fighters that we weren't going to pick for the sake of being on the opposite side of each other. All right, so right. as it stands right now, it looks like if you're just moving every fight up the card, the co-main event would be Gloria DePaglia and Cheyenne Bays. Uh, Gloria is 5-3 and three overall. Cheyenne Bays, 5-2 and two overall. Oddshark.com has Bays as a minus 150 favorite. Gloria DePaglia, one, plus 130. Is... Uh... Is Cheyenne Bay is the one that fought uh, Montserrat Canejo. Yeah, and, and then uh, the the end of the fight, it was uh, crazy. They were yeah. throwing bitches and all this yep. stuff. Yep. Oh, I'll find you in the okay. street, bitch, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay, I was just making sure. I knew that name sounded familiar. I just couldn't think of where uh, she fought last. But yeah, um, that was a fight that she, did pretty, that she did pretty well in it as long as it was standing, but she just couldn't. Right. Uh, get it off the ground. So, um, not knowing much about Gloria DePaula's game, um, I'm going to go ahead and go with Cheyenne Bays. Cheyenne Bays for me as well. I, Cheyenne Bays is a problem in the stand-up. Uh, I, I think she uh, is one of the higher-level stand-ups in this division. Um, you know, if, if she faces somebody like Montserrat Canejo that can take her down and ground control... You know, that's the weakness, but in big exchanges on the feet, I, I really like Cheyenne Bays coming out on the, the better side of things. So Cheyenne Bays for me as well. Again, assuming this uh, becomes the co-main event tonight. All right, Will, this is a really exciting matchup. Um, I don't know how many casuals uh, are super excited about this one, but just stylistically, this fight produces fireworks in the middleweight division our main event features uriah hall 17 and 9 overall sean strickland 22 
and three overall. Oddshark.com has Sean Strickland as a minus 225 favorite. Uriah Hall plus 180. Man, so um, Uriah Hall has looked really, really good uh, in his last four. Um, I think his last loss was to Paolo Costa. And I look at that Costa fight as something that Sean Strickland can take um, all the success that Paulo Costa had against him. Uriah Hall was hitting Paulo Costa with some great shots, but Paulo Costa was uh, pursuing him, draining him, uh, uh, moving forward and just still landing strikes. So after a while, Uriah Hall got tired and Paulo Costa was able to put him away. Um, I think Sean Strickland is a, is a, is a better striker uh, than Paulo Costa. He's still he's going to pressure Uriah Hall. Um, where, where I have a question is early on, is Uriah Hall going to be able to land something that, um, stops Sean Strickland in his tracks and put him away? If not, then I think we'll see, um, five rounds or unless this fight is finished, I think we'll see a lot of Sean Strickland, uh, just having his way. But, uh, Uriah Hall is a very, um, is a very good striker. Uh, he's going to have the, uh, the height and the reach advantage. So, um, uh, man, it's, it's tough, man. Uriah Hall's got the name, but Sean Strickland, um, is a very tough fighter. Um, man, this one's tough. It, I mean, how much has Uriah Hall grown? You know, like you asked me when we talked, when we were talking about this last week, what Uriah Hall are we going to see? Yeah. (laughs) Um, so like Uriah Hall's the, he's the captain of, uh, I forget where he trains, but he's the captain of, of, uh, he's the captain of the ship there. So, um, has that changed his mentality? Has, has that changed, um, his gas tank, I guess. So, uh, as far as my pick, man, it's, it's tough, but I'm thinking I'm going to go Sean Strickland. I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting fight. And again, I think like if, if my, my number one question about this fight is what Uriah Hall are we going to see it? Like the good Uriah Hall is a top five middleweight, right? Like, the problem is I feel like it, there's just such a drastic, there's like an inconsistency, I feel like, when we see Uriah Hall. Like, from an expectation level, it just kind of feels like it's all over the map. And when he's on and when he's good, he's really good. Uh, but there just kind of seems to be these inexplicable uh, performances where you're like, I, I, I don't know, I, I feel a little bit, like, underwhelmed by what we just got. Um, I, I will say this, I think that... Sean Strickland's style plays into Uriah Hall's strength. Uh, so that gives him the opportunity to be really dynamic inside the octagon tonight. Uh, but, you know, I think Sean Strickland can take a punch. I think he's going to pressure. I think he's looked so crisp with his own striking uh, over the course of, of, you know, his last few fights. I think that Sean Strickland is just trending in a better direction right now. Um, I, this is going to be a fun fight. Again, Sean Strickland's style, you know, pretty much makes him a a main event type draw anyway because he's going to give the fans the kind of fight they want to see. But his style also allows Uriah Hall to potentially fight his best fight as well. So I I think this is an underrated main event in terms of the fight we're going to see. But I land on Sean Strickland's side of things as well. So Sean Strickland for both of us in this main event. And uh, Will... We, uh, we generally do this uh, outside of the main event because generally, you know, we're always excited about the main event more than any other fight. Give me the fight on this card that you think is the fight of the night, main event not included. 
I, I think you have to go to uh, Barbarina and Jason Witt. Uh, I think uh, just Barbarina's fighting style, it calls for a fight of the night type of type of fight. And uh, I think Jason Witt, will, will, he'll bring it. And Brian Barbarina is just, uh, he'll be the one that's pressing forward. So these guys will meet in the middle. I think we'll have a really, really entertaining fight. All right, there we go. I am uh, I am in agreement on Barbarina Wit as uh, the fight that I think potentially gives us the most fireworks outside of Sean Strickland and Uriah Hall. Will Brewer, any final thoughts as you once again take an eight point lead into tonight's UFC Fight Night card, Strickland versus Hall? Man, um, I just think it's in continuing on this main event. You know, I still think there's just a lot of questions about uh, Uriah Hall. You know, he's you know, his last fight with Chris Weidman ended the way it did with the leg break. And uh, he beat Anderson Silva before that. And, you know, Anderson Silva's on his last legs. Um, that was his last uh, fight in the UFC. While Sean Strickland's on a four-fight winning streak. And it's just, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's just different, you know. Uh, Christoph Jucko is, uh, and, and Brendan Allen and Jack Marshman, these are young, younger, hungrier, you know, fighters yeah. While the guys that Uriah Hall beat have the experience and everything, that these are guys who uh, show a lot more of what today's MMA is. So uh, I'm more confident in what Sean Strickland has done in his last four than what Uriah Hall has done in his last four. But this is the ch- this is the chance for Uriah Hall to show that um, he has grown as a fighter. If he beats Sean Strickland, then um, yeah. that's going to put him in a in a prime time spot for sure. Do you want to make a Pitbull uh, McKee pick? I got. I'm going AJ McKee, man. I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think uh, his length is a problem. I think the different ways that he can finish his fight is a problem. I think he represents what today's MMA is as well. So I, I'm going AJ McKee, man. Nice. Uh, I'm gonna. I I feel like this is so close to me. Like again, the odds are minus one ten for both guys. It's so close. Like flip a coin, but like if I had to pick one, I would say Pitbull. A, experience, B, what you mentioned earlier. I think when you're the champ in a close fight, you get the benefit of the doubt. You know, you have to do more as the challenger to get the benefit of the doubt when it's that close. And uh, I just think if, if there's not a finish and it goes to the scorecards and it's as close as we think it's going to go, I think Pitbull gets the benefit of the doubt. So that's that's what my prediction would be. Yeah, I mean, in, in a fight that... What a great fight, um, though. Yeah, it, it's an outstanding fight, man. And a, a championship fight that kind of goes along with what we're saying with the judging. Uh, you, Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway, too. There was a lot of close rounds uh, after those first two. And um, some of those rounds went to uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. And you wonder, like, you know, uh, I, I clearly thought Max Holloway won. But, you know, the champion, you know, kind of gets the benefit of the doubt in those close in those close uh, rounds. So, I think AJ McKee gets it done. I I'm I'm leaning a little bit towards a finish, but you know okay. I'm not completely sure. But um, yeah, this fight it, it is the biggest in Bellator history, um, and I think uh, the young lion's gonna overtake the the old guard. Very nice, very nice. Uh, I am going to email the UFC see if they will send me a Chandler Gaethje uh, fight poster promo. Uh, to hang on my wall because I am absolutely thrilled about this matchup. And I just want to look at it every day and get more excited for the buildup of uh, Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje inside the octagon. What a great fight that's going to be as we uh, let off this episode. Will, always great stuff, my friend. We will catch up again next week. All right, my brother. Have a good one.
The podcast is over.